Well, welcome everybody at all of our campuses meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. So glad you made it to church. I also want to welcome those of you who are watching online around the country and world. Always glad when you can join us. We know that you're a part of our church, so welcome to you as well. I especially want to welcome those of you who are students here today because some of you are away from home for the very first time, and that can be very unnerving. In fact, there are 32 high school students uh, hockey students from Norway. You guys didn't know I knew you were here, did you? But they're here somewhere. They're playing a tournament over in, yeah, there they are, over in Blaine. So welcome to you guys. Yeah. Welcome to you. Uh, you know, I pretty much hated being a student all through my life because I was 900 miles away from home, all on my own. I was stressed out and poor in college. Even though there were always people, people around, I always felt a little bit uh, afraid and lonely. I had arguments with roommates. I had professors who would just pile on the work as if theirs was the only class during that semester. Every time a new semester began, I felt completely overwhelmed, and I just missed being home. But again, if you're a student, this is a time when you can really learn to trust God and really grow in your faith, and I hope our church can be a support to you as you do that. But man, you don't have to be a student to feel disoriented in life. Isn't that true? I mean, uh, maybe you're a new parent. Oh, man, that's just brutal for parents. It's just really hard to be a new parent or starting a new job or maybe you just moved to the area. You know, maybe you're in a rut and it seems like nothing ever changes. Whatever your situation is, I'm so glad you're here today because we're starting a new series called At the Door, talking about how to make great decisions that can lead to a great life. Now, don't raise any hands on this, but how many of you are facing an important decision right now. They've calculated that the average person makes about 70 decisions every day, a lot of minor decisions, but some of those decisions are important, 70 a day, about 25,000 decisions every year, about 2 million decisions over a person's lifetime, the average person. Someone said, life is the sum of all your decisions, and that's really true. I mean, put all those 2 million decisions together and that's really who you are as a person. In fact, you make your decisions, and your decisions really make you. Decisions like, should I go to college or not? Pursue God or not? Go to a certain party? Date a certain person? View a certain website? Take on a certain job? Our life is the sum total of all our decisions, and what makes us really hard is that we're bombarded with decision-making every single day. For example, the beauty of blue jeans used to be their simplicity. They used to be blue, and they were jeans, and that was it. Now you have to choose you know, between relaxed, fit, straight cut, boot cut, distressed, stonewash, skinny, flex, super flex for 30 years. I wore the same pair of Levi's for 34 years. 99, but people started telling me, Bob, you need a better pair of jeans. So one day, Dave and Kevin Holvig, who are some musicians on our staff, had on some skinny jeans, and I have to admit, they, they looked, they looked good. <laughs> we, we, we were in staff meeting, and Dave said, Bob, you need to go to American Eagle and get some super flex skinny jeans. I thought, there's no way. I'm not going to American Eagle and ask for skinny jeans, but three weeks ago, My wife took me on my once-a-year annual outing to shop to the outlets in Egan, and I tried on a dozen different jeans. 
Went to J. Crew, Banana Republic, the limited, I couldn't find anything. Finally, last ditch effort, walked into American Eagle, and I was like a fish out of water. But I kind of, you know, made my way around, grabbed a couple of pair of skinny flex jeans off the shelf, which seems so wrong on so many levels. But I went to a changing room, and I'm telling you, I was born again. Oh, man. They feel so good. And they fit perfectly. I showed them my wife. She absolutely loved them and loves me. The problem is, they were $56, which is insane. Of course, they had a deal. If you buy one, you get the second pair half up. But I didn't need two pair. Only needed one pair. So I said to my wife, I'm going to see if I can get a discount on one pair. She said, they're not going to do that. I said, how do you know? She said, because that's not the deal. I said, well, I can't pay $56 for a pair of jeans. So she went to the car. She was not going to watch this conversation. I walked up to the counter. I was very nice, very cordial. And I said to the gal, I said, now I know what the deal is. If you buy one, you get the second one half off. But I only need one pair. Can I get a discount on one pair? She said, well, you have to buy two pair for the discount. I said, but I only need one pair. Can I get a discount on one pair? She looked over at her manager, and she said, he wants a discount on one pair. (laughs) The manager said to me, you have to buy two pairs for the discount. I said, but I don't need two pairs. She says, well, then we can't help you. I said, well, then, what if I don't buy any pair? She said, we don't care. She's just like, give me a break. I'm sort of like this guy on the screen often. I'm just a little bit quirky. So I bought them for 56 bucks. Do you like them? Do you like them? All right. That's, I guess that's worth it. But think of the decisions I had to make. What store, what color, what size should I buy? One pair for 56, which killed me. Two for 84, which is never going to happen. Or walk away with none. What am I going to do? Now, some of you are here today hoping to get an answer to a very important decision. Is it bachelor number one or bachelor number two? Is it career number one or number two? House number one, number two? Child number one, two? Should we go for three? You know, what's the, what's the answer? Author, pastor, brilliant thinker, Erwin, Erwin McManus says it this way, most of us can summarize our lives around five or six defining decisions Decisions that if we had chosen differently would have radically altered our lives. One bad decision, gang, one bad decision can cause years of regret. While one good decision can produce a lifetime of benefit. The most important decision, bar none, that I made in my life was to become a follower of Jesus Christ, who is my Lord, my Savior, and leader, the source of all my wisdom. The second most important decision I made was to marry Laurie Thompson. And I'm telling you, those two decisions set my life on a path of reward and fulfillment that would be radically different had I chosen differently. Now, all of us make bad decisions. I make bad decisions sometimes. We all do at times. You know, about money we wish we wouldn't have spent, places we wish we wouldn't have gone, people we wish we wouldn't have met or dated. Some of those decisions simply embarrass us. 
But man, other decisions, I can tell you, they can set you back for a decade. I'm 59 years old. I've made thousands of decisions over my lifetime about school, work, fitness, money, raising kids, time management, running a large church with over 200 staff. And folks, I can tell you that every decision you make in life really matters. It matters if and where you go to school. Really matters. It matters who you hang out with. It matters how you spend your time. It matters how you raise your kids if you have them. And there are a few decisions, I'm telling you, that are absolute deal breakers. There are reasons why certain people almost always do well and why other people almost always fail and often it comes down to choosing the right door between door number one or door number two. The Bible says it this way, listen to me, God says, treasure my instructions and you will know how to find the right course of action almost every single time. God says it is possible to know the right course of action every time. So what I wanna do in the time we have left today is give you just my best shot Take it or leave it. But this is my best shot at how you can consistently make great decisions that will lead to a great life. And there's three keys. Number one is this. You gotta determine your values. You gotta know what your values are. The only way you can make great decisions is if you have thought through what are my number one, two, three, four, five, and, and top values. I was blessed with great parents. Loved God, they loved each other, raised us kids well. So by the time I was 16, really, by the time I was 16, I was beginning to formulate what I wanted my life to be like. And by the age 17, 18, I absolutely knew what my top five values were. I wanna show you what they are. I wanted to have a solid faith in Jesus Christ because I knew that would set my life up for, for good things. I wanted to have a great marriage. I, anybody can get married. But I wanted my marriage someday, if I got married, to have a great marriage. I wanted to have a purposeful career. I wanted to be physically fit, and I wanted to be financially sound. Virtually every decision I have made since age 16 was based on how it would impact these five values. So for example, if I wanted to have a solid faith in Jesus Christ, obviously I would go to church, never miss, even during the summer. I would go to church, never miss, because I needed to be under that instruction and in, around, around people of worship. You just drift in your faith if you're not in church and reading your Bible and praying. I did those things automatically. If I wanted to have a great marriage someday, I would develop my character and I would stay sexually pure as a single person. If I wanted to be financially sound, I would work, I would save, and I would avoid consumer debt like the plague that it is. Almost every decision, gang, I've ever made in my life was based on how it would affect these five values, my faith, marriage, career, fitness, and my finances. I'm telling you, if you don't know what your values are, you're just gonna drift and you're gonna make bad decisions based on feelings 
or whim that leads to failure. I was reading from Hebrews 12 this past week, and a little verse just jumped off the page. The verse is this. It says, make sure that nobody is immoral or godless like Esau, an Old Testament character, who traded his birthright for a single meal. For a single meal, he sold his inheritance. Esau and Jacob were brothers. Esau was the oldest. He was the firstborn, the firstborn back in the Old Testament. He inherited all the money, all the cattle, all the land, everything. But Esau was out hunting one day, came back. He was not a good planner. And he was hungry, starving to death. And Jacob was home. He was preparing some food. And Esau, in a rash moment of stupidity, traded his birthright, his inheritance, for his brother's happy meal. One of the dumbest decisions ever made in history. In order to satisfy an immediate craving, he sold his birthright to his brother and traded his whole financial future. It says in verse 17 in Hebrews 12, that when Esau realized what he had done, he wept bitterly. Now my question is, how can, how can anybody do that? How can anybody be so short-sighted that for a single meal you would give up several million dollars of your father's estate? I'm telling you, people do it every day. They overspend their income on a new truck, boat, or trip and damage their financial future. They have an affair to satisfy a temporary craving and damage their marital future. They party like animals in college, become addicted, and they damage their whole career future. And instead of thinking about their values, what they want out of life, they live for today, they exchange their entire future for a temporary craving. A while back, Newsweek magazine ran an article about a growing, a growing number of young men in their 20s and 30s who instead of starting a career and behaving responsibly are just choosing the single life of drinking, partying, and hooking up. The writer says this, and I quote, a failure to launch into responsible adulthood is leading to long-term losses in these kids' lives. The article says a 28-year-old graduate talked of feeling ashamed of his life, which has led to countless conquests, but not the intimacy he had hoped for. He's still living at home in New Jersey and working at a hotel front desk. The article goes on to say this. Today's young men are the first downwardly mobile men in U.S. history among the most distraught, addicted, and socially isolated Meanwhile, the article says a raft of studies shows that married men are happier, more sexually satisfied, and less likely to end up in the emergency room than their unmarried counterparts. They also earn more, are promoted more, and are more likely to own a home. And I'm hearing the words of, of Hebrews, make sure that you're not immoral or godless like Esau who traded his whole future for a single meal, a single craving, a single desire. Now, 
You know, I'm talking to a lot of people today, and a lot of us have, we're right there, and we've blown it, and we've led a life that isn't responsible. God still loves you. God still wants a relationship with you to redeem you and to put you on a path of intimacy with him and relational greatness and goodness so you can turn it around. But man, you got to think. You got to think about your long-term values. If someday you want to have a f- solid faith, great marriage, purposeful career, be physically fit and financially strong, what decisions are you making today that will get you there? Because the decisions you make today will absolutely determine your life all the way through. Second way to make great decisions, you got to determine what you're not, I love this point, you're not going to do. You know, what are you not ever, ever going to do? Have you ever written, written those things down? If you know what you're not ever, ever going to do, it helps you choose between door number one and door number two. So four weeks ago, I was in Montana with a very good friend for a few days, and we were, while we were there, we stopped at a dumpy little restaurant called The Hungry Bear. It was 5 p.m. in the afternoon. About eight local pickup trucks were parked in the gravel lot. So I walked in. We walked in together. And most people were at the bar for happy hour, but there was one lone guy sitting at an electronic slot machine just pushing in quarters. And, and this summer, I was reading a couple of books, and here they are, Intentional Living by John Maxwell and Destiny by T.D. Jakes. Both these books are, are about finding your purpose in life. How do I find my God-given purpose? And I had Jake's book with me, and I was going to discuss it with my friend over dinner. Jake's talks about how to reach your purpose, and he says things like this. Who are the great people in your life who will help you reach your purpose? And I wrote down about eight or nine great people in my life who are ahead of me and helping me reach my purpose. He says, you have to evaluate every task and relationship and expense to see if those things are helping you reach your purpose. Now, my mind was full of these great ideas, and I walked past this guy sitting on a bar stool playing blackjack. And my immediate thought was that guy has almost no chance of finding his God-given purpose if that's how he spends his time and money. I mean, Jakes goes on to say, he says, in order to reach your purpose, there are certain things that you're simply not going to do. So what are you not going to do? I sat down at our table and I told my friend, well, I'm not going to sit in a bar stool playing blackjack at a slot machine. That's just never going to happen in my life. Not in a million years. And then I said to my friend, and I'm not going to cheat on my wife, and I'm not going to spend money I don't have, and I'm not going to invite highly dysfunctional people into my inner circle, and I'm not going to be dishonest, and I'm not going to say, it was a great, wonderful conversation at the table. Wouldn't wouldn't you love to be there? Fun, so much fun. And I'm not going to say yes to too many commitments because if I do those things, I will not reach my God-given potential and purpose. So what are you not ever, ever going to do? It's just off the table. There's a few not-evers in the Bible. Here's some of the Ten Commandments. Don't use God's name in vain. God's got ears. He hears that stuff. He doesn't like it. Don't murder. Not ever. Do not commit adultery. 
Do not steal. Here's a few from the Proverbs. Don't make friends with a hothead. They'll hurt you. Don't withhold discipline from a child. Parents, being a parent is the hardest thing on the planet, but you got to discipline your kids for their good. Man, I was disciplined every day. I needed it. I'm so glad for that. Don't join those who drink too much. What are you not ever, ever going to do? Now, how this works, you know, I decided long before I was married, married as a teenager, I decided long before I was ever married that I would never, ever cheat on my spouse because that would just produce loss and pain and regret. So because that's in the never, ever category, that also meant I would never, ever have sex before marriage. I would never, ever view pornography. I would never, ever visit strip clubs or work alone with another woman because those decisions are already made based upon the main decision. I don't even have to think about those things. Another thing I'm not ever, ever going to do, well, I've I've failed at this one many times, but one of the things I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to do is say yes to too many commitments. I get a lot of invitations to go places and do things, and a lot of those things are worthwhile and good, but I almost always say no to those things because whatever you say yes to means you're saying no to something else. Whatever you agree to do and say yes to automatically means you can't do something else like spending time in your deer stand, which I need to do. So I got to say no to a lot of other stuff or have a quiet dinner on the back deck with my wife and my dog. Those are things I need to do to restore my soul so I can meet the demands that God has placed on my life to fulfill my purpose. So what are you going to say no to? Every year I say no to the state fair. I, I think it's because of my fear of crowds and germs and other people's body sweat. Uh, but clearly I'm a minority because nearly two million people went to the state fair. So we decided to have some fun. We sent Mike and Mike out to the state fair this year to ask people about decision-making. Just check it out. Hey, Eagle Brook, it's Mike and Mike at the Minnesota State Fair. Such a beautiful day, Mike. I can't believe it's already September. We're talking about decision-making, and what better place to ask people about decision-making than the great Minnesota get-togethers. Yeah, all right, let's go. There are so many things to do at the Minnesota State Fair. How do you decide what you're gonna do first? Well, we come in with a game plan. At our age, it's not about the rides, it's about the food. We just wanted to check out the people, very interesting people here, and then, of course, the food. What kind of food have you tried today? Cheese curds, we tried fried pickles, we tried a foot-long corn dog, we got milkshakes. What's the first thing you decided to feed them when you got here? Turkey to go. They love it. How many cookies have you had so far? I don't know, like nine. Was that a good choice? No. (laughs) Have you made any bad decisions today? Probably just all the food I ate. Really? Yeah. How much did you eat? Pretty much a little bit of everything. You came to the state fair and you said, I'm not going to have anything that has a stick. Exactly. That's, that's a rough choice. Have you ever had any food at the fair 
that afterwards you thought like that was a bad decision? Probably last year. What was it? I don't know. I just remember I rode on a ride afterward and I just didn't feel great. That might have been a bad decision. Yeah, that was a bad decision. <laughs> Would you consider yourself a good decision maker? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> What Pretty good. You? Yeah, I think so. You think she yeah. is? No, I think I am. You think you are. Tony, what's the best decision you've ever made in your life? Marrying this lady. You gotta be kidding me. Does your wife help you make good decisions? She makes sure I make good decisions. She doesn't make sure. She makes sure I'm not allowed to make bad decisions. We got it. I got it. Don't worry. All right, so you just went through the haunted house. How, how was it? How did, how did it feel? It was scary. Was it scary? Oh, I think that's scary. Hey. Hi. How many times have you guys been in the, the um, mister here? Um, today, this is my first time. Your first time. What led you to this decision? I was very hot, and I'm like, ooh, I need to get wet quick. So I just went over here, and I felt really cool. What's the best decision you've ever made in your life? Uh, having my child. Having your child. What's the worst decision you've made? Ooh, we can't talk about that here. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, how much money would I have to pay you to grab one of those little piglets and not, hide it in your purse? I'm not going to steal a pig. You're not going to steal a pig? No. I think that's a wise decision. <laughs> What's with the microphone? Oh, we're shooting a, we're shooting a video um, talking about decision making. That's a wrap, man. Yeah. Talk to a lot of people. Lots of nice people. Yeah, I think the best decision we can make now is to eat. I think so, too. Back to you, Bob. Yeah, thanks, guys. You should never, ever try to steal a piglet <laughs> and put it in your purse. So what are you not going to do? Final thing here is follow what the Bible says. Some decisions, gang, are, are simply not that difficult. Because the Bible is clear. Tell the truth. Stay out of debt. Don't get drunk. Avoid sexual sin. And don't date people who do those things. 95% um, of all the decisions you have to make about life are, are right here in God's word. But what's scary to me is that some of you are making major decisions without the best wisdom in the world because you, you, you haven't read God's word or you don't read it on a regular basis. I've read through the book of Proverbs a hundred times or more. The book of Proverbs is a very easy book to read. Chapter a day, there's 31 chapters. It saved me from relational and financial ruin. The book of Ephesians, very short book, five chapters, six chapters probably saved my marriage and built my family. The Psalms gives me courage when I'm lonely and afraid. First and second Timothy taught me how to lead. You know, David said it this way in Psalm 119, I have hidden your word, God, in my heart that I might not sin against you. What he's saying is that when God's word gets into your heart and into your soul, you'll begin to almost automatically know the decisions that are the right ones. 
that when you're faced with a decision about a relationship or a habit or a conflict or purchase or sexual temptation, you're going to know what to do. Telling you the biggest difference between those who flourish in life and those who don't usually isn't talent, usually isn't intelligence or money. It's wisdom that comes from God and his word. James 1.5 says, if anybody lacks wisdom, ask. Just ask God who gives generously to all. So instead of asking, you know, what should I do? Where should I go? The Bible says, ask God for guidance, and he will lead you. Instead of obsessing over door number one, door number two, ask for God's wisdom, and he will begin to give it to you. Because isn't this true? When you become the right kind of person, you will start making the right kind of decisions. When you become a God-led, wisdom-filled, Christ-following person, you're going to know Nine times out of ten, you're going to know where to go, what to do. Now, some of you might be thinking, Bob, well, there's no hope for me because I made just about every bad decision there is to make. You're not beyond hope. No matter what you've decided, what you've done in this world, you are not beyond hope. Some of you made decisions that led to an addiction or divorce or job loss. You might have ruined your reputation and hurt a lot of people. So so your hill is steeper to climb because of those decisions. But you are not beyond hope. You're not beyond the reach of God's forgiveness. God still loves you no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. And you can make the best decision today. Because the ultimate door isn't a door at all. It's really a person. Jesus said it this way. He said, I am the door. I am the door. Anyone who enters through me will be saved. Not just eternal life saved, but saved from a bad life or an addictive life or a life that's just not going well. I can help you, Jesus says, if you let me come into your life through faith. So if you've had a lot of failure in your life, Man, you can put a stake in the ground today, enter the door of faith in Jesus, and start making better decisions. No one's beyond that. Okay? Others of you are thinking, you know, I just want to know what class to take or what car to buy or, you know, if we should start trying for kids. Here's my answer. Once you have your values set, once you know what you're not ever, ever going to do, once you get your mind and soul into God's word and begin living by God's word, you're going to know nine times out of ten what to do about your life. And God gives you great freedom then to choose once you're living by his values and his word. But if you're still stuck between two really good options, here's just a couple other pieces of advice. Get some good advice from godly people, wise people. Just say, hey, here's my situation. What would you do? And you can get some advice. The other thing you should do is seek, seek God's spirit. Say, God, by your spirit, lead me in this. Fill me. Lay it before God in prayer. And I'm telling you, it's amazing if you do that, how suddenly you will just begin to know option one, option two. And often it's just a leaning. And it's time to go. And it'll be the right thing. Finally, some of you are thinking, Bob, I've made good decisions all my life. I've followed God's word. Why is my life so hard? Well, some people think if they've chosen the right door, their life's going to get easier. 
often your life gets harder. 25 years ago, I interviewed for five churches you know, for a job, and all five churches said this. Bob, we believe it's God's will that you become the pastor of our church. How could that be? That's not even possible. How could all five churches say, we believe it's God's will that you become our senior pastor? I thought about it a lot. What I learned that it could have been God's will to be the pastor of any of those five churches in Michigan, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Minnesota, because here's what I found out. God's will isn't so much where you go, but that wherever you go, it's to be faithful. That whatever you do, wherever you go, it's to be faithful. Whatever marriage you're in, it's to be faithful. Whatever school you're at, it's to be faithful. Whatever job you're working, it's to be faithful. So I came to the church in White Bear 25 years ago. It was the worst two years of my life. All kinds of conflicts, staff resignations. There were only two, so they left. People were leaving right and left, but then, gang, we took off. It's never been easy, not one day of easy, but it has been unbelievably miraculous because the presence of conflict and difficulty is often a sign that you made the right decision. You made the right decision. So again, what kind of person do you want to become? Do you have your values set? Do you know what you're not ever, ever, ever going to do? And are you living by God's word about how to have a great faith, marriage, career, fitness, family? We all make decisions. And our decisions make us. Next week, closed doors. What happens when God closes a door? Why? Why does, it, why does that happen? So invite you back. But before we release you, and we're really full of it, I understand that, so just don't sin in the parking lot, all right? But before we, before we release you, 15 years ago today, our country came under attack. And I just want to be mindful as a church and as a pastor of those people who were killed that day, 9-11. I'm so proud of the firefighters and policemen, National Guard and military, who every day get up, try to keep our country safe. I think as a church, we ought to remember that day. And we ought to remember the family members and friends of those who lost someone that day. I love our country. And the two candidates we have right now don't have the answers. But God does. It comes down to every single Christian living a God-honoring life. That's the heartbeat. That's the saving grace of America or Norway or any other country in the world. It's not a government. It's each individual person's living their life in a godly manner, teaching their kids, having an effect, classmates, colleagues. I pray for our leaders. I pray for our country. But ultimately, it's in God's hands. And I'm glad for that. But thanks to those who get up every day try to keep our country safe. Way to go.
Let's pray. Yeah. Thank you. Let's pray real quick, and we'll be on, we'll be on our way at all campuses. Let's pray real quick. God, just uh, take these words now and let them sink deeply into our soul. Hard to make decisions. I pray for these young men from Norway. Um, it's a country that struggles in these areas. I know it well. I've been there many times. God, I pray for these young men that you'll protect their hearts, that they'll make great decisions about their relationships and about who you are. I pray for all the young people in our church here in America. God, I just thank you and praise you that we can be a church that stands up, can tell the truth in love. We need you. We love you. Thank you for those who serve every day to keep our country safe. And we will trust you with all the outcomes. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for coming out.